0: Morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Scotty Brown. I volunteer here at Vero Bible Fellowship, and I am uh, very thankful and feel blessed to be able to come and deliver the Word this morning. Um, many of you probably don't know, I uh, am currently in school taking classes uh, online at the Master's University out of California, and Hopefully, one day uh, hope to be a full time minister. So to have this opportunity is uh, wonderful, and I want to thank Pastor Greg and the elders. Uh, Pastor Greg is currently in Illinois visiting his oldest daughter Lauren, and uh, last night got there safely and got to meet their him and Re got to meet their tenth grandchild Sebastian for the first time. So that was the big reason for their visit. So everyone's happy and healthy, and uh, also. Who don't know, my wife Morgan is uh, Pastor Greg's second daughter, and she is on the trip with them. So I have my three oldest kids by myself at home this week, so you can pray for me. (laughs) But I promise you, I'm restful. I made sleep a priority last night, and uh, we're going to get into it. Um, If you would uh, bow your heads with me real quick. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are, Lord. We thank you that you designed church that we would be able to come together, Lord, and have fellowship and strengthen one another and lift each other up, Lord, but ultimately that we would worship you. We would worship you through the reading of your word, uh, through song, and through preaching. And I just pray for this church. I thank you for who they are, Lord. I thank you for who they are in my life and the life of my family. And I pray that I would be just a worthy vessel to deliver your word today, Lord, and that they would hear your words. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, a wonderful thing about our church is that uh, primarily we usually go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, Right now, we're in a study of Acts, and we will be back in that study next week. But when Pastor Greg approached me about preaching this Sunday, he said, "We're not going to be. There's going to be a break in between there for Christmas, so you can pretty much go wherever you want to go." It's a pretty daunting task. Um, thankfully, I had a, a little bit of time to really be prayerful about it. But when you're used to going verse by verse and then you have the whole Bible open to you as to where you can go, it can be uh, a little bit intimidating. And so I was thinking about uh, Christmas, the Christmas season. And so today we're going to find out why Jesus is the root off of the Bible. That's just a joke. <laughs> Pastor Greg, I had to throw that in there. He told me he'd be watching, so I'm sure he just fell over in his chair in Chicago. (laughs) Now, honestly, being prayerful about this time, uh, I was thankful to have that amount of time to really be prayerful about where does God want us to go today. And one of the wonderful things, just a blessing about any time you're able to, to preach or teach or anything like that, lead a Bible study Really what happens is, is that the Word, as you open the Word and you consider it and you're purposeful about reading it, God's Word is faithful to speak to you as the person who's reading it. So the message is just as much for me, just as much convicting to me, just as much uplifting to me as it is to those who hear it. And so we're going to be in Haggai chapter 1. For those of you who don't know Haggai is towards the end of the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew and go back three books, you'll find Haggai. It's just a short little book, and we're just going to cover chapter 1 today. And the reason for going there is the time of year that we're in, this is the last Sunday of this year. And so as we turn the page, we kind of get a refocusing A natural time of reflection, but also looking forward as to where we're going. And so in that time, what God has brought to me in my own life, and now I'll bring to you, is that we would refocus on our relationship with God. It's easy as we go through our lives to kind of get in just a normal groove of things, sometimes maybe even a runt of things. But really, through that whole time, God stays constant, He's always there. And so, I, I had the idea in my mind of you know, our cell phone. I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I go anywhere, I have three things I always check for in my pockets I check for my keys, I check for my wallet, and I check for my phone. If one of those things isn't on me, it just feels weird. So, I always make sure I have that phone with me, but sometimes. Much like talking to people on the phone, we can leave God on hold. He's with us all the time, but we're not engaging with Him. So that's the point of this refocusing. Quickly, I just want to go to the Bible and look at a few characteristics of God's faithfulness from His Word. You can write these down. You don't have to turn. We'll go through them quickly. Deuteronomy 7.9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Second Timothy two three says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Psalm thirty-three four for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Psalm one nineteen ninety Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Church, our God is faithful. Our God is unchanging. Our God is timeless. No, God could have chosen to be called any name. He's God. But the name he chose is I am. And something that's wonderful about that name when you consider it is that it always is. He always is I am. When we think about our own lives, we think about when we're a baby, adolescent, adult, later into life, we change. Our characteristics change as we go. And we can think about, oh, When I was this age, I was like this. Or, oh, as I grow, maybe I'll grow into this. But God is I am always. He isn't like us. That's part of his holy other characteristic. And so, looking at that side of that relationship, now we turn to face our side of that relationship. And that's where we get into Haggai. Now, just some background on Haggai. At the beginning of the book of Ezra, the nation of Israel is in exile and under control of the Medo-Persian Empire. And so what's cool about Haggai is Haggai actually takes place between Ezra chapter 3 and Ezra chapter 4. So we get this little glimpse of this in-between. The Bible from the new test or from the old testament rather we look at genesis and we try to you know our minds just naturally go into a chronological way but as you study the bible you find these cool and unique things now if we look at Ezra chapter 1 i'll read it real quick for you just verses 1 through 4 this is going to give us a little background as to where we are with haggai it says Ezra chapter 1 in the year of Cyrus king of Persia That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And this is the proclamation in verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so Haggai is in this first wave of Jews that went back from exile, back to Jerusalem. So as we, Pastor Brenton read for us in our scripture reading, that prophecy from Jeremiah is speaking about these events, that they would be in exile and then after 70 years they would be released from exile to go back and to build the temple. And what's awesome about God is that Cyrus isn't a believer. Cyrus isn't an Israelite. He's the Medo-Persian emperor. But he reads this proclamation. He reads the book of Jeremiah, and God uses him. You know, oftentimes we think that you know, we're not good enough, things like that. But God will even use those who aren't his people to act out his works. <laughs> so the people returned to Jerusalem and began to rebuild the temple. But we find out in Ezra chapter 4 that they were met with opposition from the inhabitants of the land. And so the building of the temple ceased. The opposition that came from them was actually from inhabitants of that land at that time who were Samaritans. So we kind of get a look into the future of where you see this relationship between God's people and Samaritans and there's this beef. Well it starts back at this time in the book of Ezra, because God's people knew that they were the only ones who could rebuild the temple. And when they don't let the Samaritans join in the Samaritans start to stir up uh, strife among them, and that's why the building ceases. So then we pick up now in Haggai, and now it has been 15 years in between these two chapters of Ezra. It's been 15 years since the building of the temple has ceased. So Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king in the 6th month on the 1st day of the month the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest so cool thing about this is the book of Haggai Haggai gives us an exact date that we can date this prophecy to an exact date that date is august 29th 520 bc is when this proclamation came to haggai verse 2 thus says the lord of hosts these people say the time has yet, has not yet come to rebuild the house of the lord then the word of the lord came by the hand of haggai the prophet is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled homes, while this house lies in ruins?" You know, it's easy for us to get busy in life, and that's really what this is talking about. It's not that the time hasn't come, but if we look back to the original language, What the people are saying is, I don't have any time to do this. We don't have time to go and build this temple. And God answers that with, oh, but you have time to build your paneled homes. You know, at this time in history, especially these Jews that were in exile and they're coming back, they're coming back to ruins. And so their homes would be very modest. But in the 15 years since then, they've been able to spruce it up a bit. And so God is saying, oh, you don't have time for me, but you have time to pimp your house out. I want to look at three truths about our relationship with God. And this is going to be the first truth. Our relationship with God must be paramount. I'll say that again. Our relationship with God must be paramount. And that word paramount is specific language. I could tell you why. I remember the first time I ever heard that word used in that way. And I can date that day. It was July 25th, 2007. And the reason why I know that is it was my second day in boot camp. And it was the first lesson that we learned in our barracks. Our drill sergeant brought us in, about 60 of us, into our big day room. We're sitting there on the floor. And he said, here's your first lesson. Hydration is paramount. Hydration is paramount. Like, what does that even mean? Well, he told us. Hydration is not a priority. It's paramount. Priority are things that are on a list. But hydration supersedes the list, is above the list. In order to do all the things on the list, you got to be hydrated. And if you're not hydrated, you're wrong. And so... The way by which we would get hydrated is we were issued this old-school green canteen, and we had this cool little, not really cool, canteen belt that it was attached to that you had to have on you at all times, and your water canteen had to be filled at all times. And it wasn't like, oh, if you need to fill your canteen There's bottles in the fridge, or there's this water cooler over here. Make sure you fill it up. It was on you. It was your responsibility to fill your canteen, and the way way that you did it is you found a hose spigot, you went to the bathroom and did it out of the bathroom. And so by this time, I would guess that these canteens were probably about 45 years old. (laughs) Just a rough guesstimation. So me... 18 years old, growing up down in Jupiter, living a nice life. Now, with this rude awakening into the real world, I didn't really want to drink out of that canteen. It was nasty. It didn't taste well. And so, as he began the lesson on hydration is paramount, my drill sergeant says, before we start, drink half of your canteen right now. So we start drinking, we start drinking, and I'm like, oh, this is disgusting. You know you get that feeling in your stomach when you've just drank too much water and it just feels heavy, and it's like, man, I think I'm going to throw up all over this if I keep drinking this water. I'm not going to continue to drink this water, I'm just going to fake it. So all right, stop, keeps talking, keeps talking about why hydration is paramount, the different levels when you go into the bathroom and you check your urine to make sure that you're hydrated, all these wonderful things. And then he stops about halfway through and says, all right, finish the rest of your canteen. It's like, oh, man, this guy. So I put it up again. But this time I don't drink any at all. I'm just, you know, pretending. He says, all right. Everybody done with their water? Yes, sir. It's all right. Lift your canteen above your head. Everyone lifts their canteen above their head. Turn your canteen upside down. In church, I was the only one. Of 60, of 60 young men, I was the only one. And this thing was gurgling. I mean, boom, 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 boom. puddle all on the ground. My drill sergeant said, Well, I think we found out who's going to be the first one to go home. He said, what's your name? So stand up. He said, Trainee Brown. That's the name you had to go by, Trainee. He said, well, just so Trainee Brown doesn't feel special, we're all going to PT, which is like exercise, calisthenics. We're all going to PT until everyone else is as wet as he is. So then I was really popular amongst <laughs> <laughs> amongst my group. But I say all that to say the funny thing about, you know, it's paramount. But that word paramount, it's supreme. It's above the list, right? We have this natural thing in our lives, and sometimes we even, uh, we'll even brag about it. It's like, oh, where, where are your priorities at? Where are your priorities at? You know, faith, family, country, job, whatever it is, right? But we always make sure if we're in the right company, we got to put faith first, right? We got to put faith first. And that's a great thought. And we all know that we don't always live up to that. And thankfully, we have God's grace when we don't live up to that. But church, our relationship with God Is above the list. It shouldn't be a priority, and that's where we get it wrong. It's not number one on the list. It supersedes the list, it's supreme above the list because we have to take that relationship into everything else on the list. God should be, obviously, in our faith, our family, our country. in our money, anything you want to put on that list, job. Our relationship to God is paramount above all these things. And that's how we can get into re-ranking the list of, well, now isn't the time. Now isn't the time for that. i got to rearrange things. And for this season of my life, i got to focus on my family, as if God takes a backseat in that. Complacency, church. Complacency is one of Satan's most effective tools. It's easy to put God in everything when there's a struggle right in front of us. But when things go well, when things start to work out for us, that's when he starts to slip down the list. And it was the same in 520 B.C., If we look in Ezra uh, chapter 3, the, the, that word where we saw where it said paneled houses, if you look in Ezra 3, it talks about that they purchased cedar trees from Lebanon to build the temple. They, they went and purchased all these certain materials to build the temple. And so many scholars think that paneled houses, they actually used the cedar wood that was purchased for the temple to fit out these houses that they built. So it's not that God is not a gracious God and God doesn't want you to take care of things. God doesn't want you to have a house to live in, things like that. But when you go to these excessive links, that's when we run into trouble. Back to verse 5 of our text. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. This is the second truth about our relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Christ is the one true source of fulfillment. Notice the list that he's going down here. It's never enough. They've put their efforts into all these things, yet it's never enough. I'd like to read... Psalm 63, just one through eight, real quick for you guys. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David wrote this psalm, and he was writing this psalm while he was fleeing from Saul. And so we get this picture of no matter what is going on, David knows that God is his provision in all things. That relationship is what he holds to. Do we believe that, church? Is that what we hold to? Is that our anchor? As I said before, it's easy when we're in struggle to strengthen in our relationship. But when the crisis first hits, is that where we go? It's easy to, woe is me. Look at all that is wrong. Have you ever felt that way? That consider your ways, back in our text, that, that wordage there, if we were to look at it more closely, it means consider the path that you've taken to this point. And So God is telling his people, it's never enough, but look at where you've been looking. Look at the path that you've gone down to get to this point. And so we have ownership in that. We have to own when things haven't gone the way that we thought. But I'd like you to consider this, church, whatever your circumstance is, where when you find yourself and you're not happy with the circumstance that you're in. And I myself can be the, the first person who's guilty of this. Something's not happening quick enough. It's not fair that it hasn't worked out for me in the way that I thought it should. When you're in that place, you're either someone who isn't walking with Christ at all. You're someone who has put that walk and that relationship to the side and put other priorities in front of that. Or you're walking with Christ and he has you exactly where you're supposed to be. And so, in any of those situations, either of those three, we can all take ownership in those situations. As we come into this new year of 2022, I just want to forecast something for all of us because it's something that I can, I can easily come into myself You know, we look at our world, and we're not happy with the state of our world. I don't want to speak for you. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. We look at our country and the state that it's in, and there's a lot to not like. And so in 2022, we'll have some elections coming up. And it's easy to get into that season of, oh, if we can just make the Congress this way, if we can make the House this way, the Senate this way, then everything's going to work out. If we can just get this person elected, everything's going to work out. And to that I say shame on us, church. That is not where God has put the responsibility. Those who are in leadership, God has put them in leadership, and they will have to answer for that one day. But we are his people, church. As time goes on, what happens is the church has started to look more like the world than the world has been affected by us. And God has called us to be the salt and the light, to be the city on the hill. But now now's not the time. I have this going on, I have that going on. It's easier to do this. It's easier to put the blame on someone else. But if we want to see change, it has to come from the church. And if it's going to come from the church, it has to come from us on an individual level. Not on Sundays. Every day, church, that we would live our lives in a godly manner. That we would put that relationship Above the list and include it in everything. That's where we see change. And as I said, it's not to point to anyone else. I'm pointing back to myself. Just a reminder, as we come into that season, that we would focus on how we are living our lives. We would consider our ways. Because that is where the change will come. Christ is our portion and our fulfillment. When we rely on Him, we will be strengthened to go out and affect the rest of the world. Back to our text, verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. That I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have been withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on their laborers. Did you catch that, church? Did you see the part where God called for the drought? It's easy for us to think, oh, this is the Old Testament. God doesn't do that anymore. The Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, after Christ had gone to the cross and risen from the grave, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. God gave a thorn in the flesh to Paul. And God can do the same for us, church. It does a disservice to the work of Christ to try to gloss over these parts in the Bible and act like, oh, well, God, he's just all about love. He just... He would never do that. Not my Jesus. A loving father disciplines his children. He disciplined his people in 520 B.C. And I'm sure today in 2021 and next year in 2022, he disciplines his people when he sees fit. But we have hope, church, which leads us to the third truth of our relationship with God, is that our relationship with God has been reconciled. Read this from 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Talk about the reason for the season. Pastor Greg has said many times in this Christmas season, there wouldn't be a Bethlehem without a Calvary. When we read about discipline, as I said, we don't want to gloss over that. But there's a difference between Christ, or God disciplining us and God pouring out his judgment on us forever. And that's what was done on the cross. That's why when Christ was hanging on the cross, he cried, why have you forsaken me? because that wrath was poured out on him. And so that is the greatest truth about our, rela- our relationship with God is that it has been reconciled. I think it's easy as we go throughout life to kind of cheapen that, and I'm guilty of that as well. But you, when you really consider, church, That from the moment you surrendered, just think about that time. The moment you surrendered your life to Christ. And you probably didn't know the full gravity of that at the time. Who could? We still probably don't understand the full gravity of that. But at the moment you did that, think of everything that's happened since then. But since that moment... When he looks at you, he looks at his son. Is that amazing or what? Think of all the sin that you've committed since then. And so how, moving forward, recognizing the sacrifice that was made, can we go on and take that relationship with God and bump it down the list a little bit. How can we do that, church? This is great. In my Bible, the ESV, before verse 12, it says, the people obey the Lord, the happy ending. <laughs> then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, "...obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetal, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest." In the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the 6th month, in the 2nd year of Darius the king. And so, the people were stirred up. And that is what I'm hoping for in my own life as I move forward into this new year. That I would be stirred. And I pray the same for you as well, church. That you would join me in being stirred up. And see what God has for us. Because much like this building of the temple was a specific calling that God had for his people at that time. We all might have specific callings on our lives to do different things. But we all have the calling to be in relationship with Christ. Before we close, I'd like to go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, and that was verse 10 through 14. Some of you might recognize a verse that's in there, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a popular verse. Oftentimes we speak it on maybe new Christians or new babies as a verse for their life. But it's great to read the Bible and kind of get some context beyond just one little passage. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. For thus says the Lord... When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon my name and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will, restore you, I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. So if you have heard that verse 11 many times about plans of the future, to give you a hope, and to give you welfare. When you step out into the other verses and gain some context with that, it talks about our response as well to that. If you look in verse 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know, we have this general, general grace for the whole world, that God holds the whole world together. He makes the tides happen. He put the earth in the, just a specific place that we wouldn't be burned to death or frozen. And then even as his people were given this general grace, which is amazing just on its own that we, once we come into relationship, that we will spend eternity with Him and be spared from hell. But if we're going to talk about things in such a specific way that God has plans for our life, then we must seek Him, church. We must put Him first. And that is when the stirring happens. That is when... We come into these times of fulfillment. And so I pray that in 2022, for me and also for all of us, as we're stirred back into that relationship, that we would seek God in whatever way that we feel led to seek Him, whether it be reading the Bible in a year, starting a new ministry starting and uh, serving in a certain capacity, whatever it may be. And there's great benefit in repetition. There's great benefit in having commitment to a thing. But most of all, because I'm someone who can be very guilty of becoming habitual or legalistic about something or routine, I pray that as we're stirred into these things, that most of all that we would delight In our relationship with God. As we bring him into everything that we do, that that would fill us with joy, and that we would use his word, and the promises of his word, and the truths that we know, and that that would stir us up, and bring us joy. And so I'd like to pray for us as we close. Father God, I marvel at who you are, that you would create us, Lord, that you would be our creator, and that you would love us as a father, that you would not just look at us as peons, as chess pieces on the board, but just as you cared about your people, just as you cared about these people that we read about in the Bible, the relationships that you had with the Daniels and the Davids, that you care about us intimately in that same way. That you sent your son to die for us for the purpose of reconciliation. Because even though you're a holy God and we are a fallen people, you knew the path that would have to be walked for us to come home to you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for this season of Christmas as it refocuses us. On this, the miracle of the birth of Jesus. We thank you for this church and for faithful elders that remind us to look towards not only the birth, but the death and the resurrection. And I pray that as we move into this new year, that I myself... And that this church body would delight in you, Lord, in all that we do. As we read your word, as we spend time with our families, as we walk into our workplaces, as we come into major decisions, as we walk into this fallen world, Lord, that we would be the salt, that we would be seen by this world because of how we delight in you and how your spirit lives in us. We pray all these things in your name, amen. Thank you, church.